Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Darius Show. My name is Darius Cook, as always. I'll be your host today as we navigate these unsteady waters. And today we're talking about Netflix's hit animated series based off the video game series League of Legends, Arcane. I've already reviewed and recapped uh, Acts 1 and Act 2 of Arcane, and today we're going to be breaking down Act 3, which serves as the finale to the first season of Arcane. I really enjoyed giving this season a watch, guys, and I'm really excited to break down this as well. So without further ado, let's get right into it, guys. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. So picking up where we left off in the last set of episodes in Act 2, it feels like we've finally gotten to a point where all the characters have been firmly developed, and now we understand their motivations and basically what everyone's goal is moving into this final act so that all the events can unfold and crescendo in the glorious way that it does. It's, this isn't the first time I've compared the show to Game of Thrones, and that's not only for just the quality and the big world that they set up here, but it's also for how effectively they're able to set up the different pieces on the board and set up different storylines in overlapping ways. And they, they just continue to impress me in the way that they interweave these different plot lines. And we will definitely dive into those more specifically here in just a second. So when we kick things off in episode 7, the first episode of our final act, we are immediately reintroduced to a character named Echo. Echo was introduced in the first few episodes, but his presence at that time was very muted, and he's revealed here to actually be the leader of the Firelights. Up to this point, the Firelights have just kind of existed as kind of like a pirate group. They've been a very chaotic, neutral presence in the background, not necessarily good or bad. Uh, they're just kind of doing their own thing, and they've had an air of mystery behind them this whole time. But as we get the reveal that Echo is the leader of the Firelights, we get to see a little bit more of what their motivation is. In this time skip, Echo seems to have meta taken up the metaphorical reins of the, the group of people that try to take back what should be theirs for Zahn. He doesn't work for Silco, who is essentially the leader of Zahn. He's kind of like the rebels, if I were to compare it to Star Wars. He, he's the leader of their little rebels group. And, it, and it's another way to, to show the different factions, even, even within the factions that are, are set up between Piltover and Zahn, there's still these micro-factions within them that really show the different motivations that are happening and the nuances to the story that's being told here. As soon as Echo makes it back on screen, he steals the show 100%. I thought that Jinx was the coolest character after the time skip, but honestly, Echo is twice as cool. And all that <laughs> without even his time-turning powers. He basically has a time-turner, if you guys have read Harry Potter. The, his special ability is he has something that can send him back a few seconds in time to kind of fix his mistakes and get a leg up in a fight. But even without that ability that he has, he is an excellent fighter in his own right and a brilliant strategist. And we see that uh, throughout the few episodes here in Act 3. One thing I'm really excited for is the budding relationship between him and and Heimerdinger. That is a that's a character dynamic that I would have never saw coming, but it actually works really well. We've seen that Heimerdinger really likes to be a mentor type figure for 
people who, specifically, honestly, uh, young boys who are trying to prove themselves and are like inspired and want to take the world on. Uh, Heimerdinger seems to work very well with those type of individuals. And I'm really excited to see what will come out of that relationship because Heimerdinger certainly is smart in, a, in his own right and will certainly help the this group of Firelights probably thrive and become much more of a larger player moving forward. I want to jump around a little bit and talk about Silco's presence in the early episodes of Act 3 because he continues to show himself to be such a strong villainous threat. There's a scene specifically in episode 7 where there's a group of people that basically try to stage a coup on Silco. They challenge his his place at the top of Zahn, and they, they imply that he doesn't have what it's take to run it anymore. And we actually see this happen in two different instances throughout Act 3, but every time that it happens, he keeps a cool, calm, and collected head and just shows how terrifying he can be and how he's always one step ahead of everybody else in the room. As terrifying as he is, Act 3 is when we really start to get layers to his character because you see him really open up as this father figure for Jinx. There's, it, the, honestly, the show doesn't tell you how, to, how you should feel about this relationship. On one hand, Silco is the villain. He's been pumping essentially addicted drugs into this community so he can have a firmer grasp on it. He's the reason why uh, Pow Powder's original father didn't, didn't survive. You know, he is the inciting incident for a lot of the tragedy that's happened in the series so far. Yet, when, he, when Powder is down on her luck as a child, he does provide an answer for her, and he does provide a home for her. There's a lot of twisted implications involved here, but the show doesn't, doesn't pull its punches, and it, it actually depicts their relationship as being maternal. I mean, there is a real mother, excuse me, father-daughter relationship between these two characters, and I hate it, but I also kind of like it. <laughs> Come to think of it, there is a bit of a dichotomy being set up with Silco in that regard. On one hand, he's this crazy villainous threat, the overall villain of the entire series. And then on the other hand, we see him being a loving father who actually just cares about the person he's taken under his care. Um, <laughs> that's actually signified by his visual appearance. Uh, half of his face is, you know, messed up due to experimentation. And, you know, that can represent the two sides of him. One side that is genuinely trying to create a better environment for his citizens and the other side that is obviously sadistic and power-hungry. So I think that was a little interesting, and it certainly informs his character throughout the series. We do see Jinx confront Silco after she finds out that Vi has been alive all this time. She knows that Silco is smarter than that, so he must have known. And this is where we start to see a bit of like a push and pull with Jinx's character. Uh, I did use a Star Wars metaphor earlier, and I think that it holds here. It's kind of like she's being pulled on one end to the light side and on the other end to the dark side. Soko obviously representing Palpatine in this situation. But as she starts to question him, you know, you see this moment of defiance for her. And she, she really doesn't know how she's supposed to feel about Soko. Is, she, is he trying to protect me or is he trying to manipulate me? A question that I ask myself quite often watching this show. Um, but uh, ultimately, you can see him kind of manipulate things a little bit more and then he he still keeps her in her in his pocket. She is a little bit more skeptical of him, I, I'd say, at this point, but in this very moment, he still has her right where she wants him, and, excuse me, right where he wants her, and she, she still very much show his palm. 
switching things up a little bit, uh, we, we switched the point of view over to Piltover and everyone who is on the council as they have to start recognizing Zahn as a larger threat. Uh, what makes him recognize this is actually Jinx's chaotic presence and how many enforcers she's been taking out and the overall larger threat that she poses to uh, present for Piltover. But now they have to come to terms with the question, should they use their Hextech for military use, essentially, uh, under the guise of defending themselves, or do they need to take a more uh, larger role with that? It is clear that narratively, this is what the Piltover Council Jace plotline has been leading to. I mean, from the second that we see the Hextech introduced, Heimendinger uh, is fearful of this exact outcome, that in the wrong hands, this this power could be used for, for terrible things. And I think that that immediately is implicative of war. And that's what we see start to happen here. The, even though this plotline is a little bit uh, drawn out throughout the series, it's kind of the same question that we know we've been leading up towards. They still do a great job of really of really dancing in the gray area. This show does not try to provide a clear answer. It shows that the world is not black and white and that there isn't a true answer. And you get to see these characters really grapple with their humanity and come to terms with what are they, what are they doing? Like, are, is it right or wrong? A prime example of that is something we see in episode eight. And it's actually one of the highlights of the series for me. We actually see Jace and Vi team up at this point, Vi has traveled to Piltover to basically try to convince them that we need to we need to take down Silco. Silco is the is the real true enemy of of the Zon citizens and the Piltover citizens. In doing this, uh, they find themselves in a situation where they have to take out some of Silco's goons. Uh, so yeah, her her and Jace team up. They use their hex tech together, and the battle scene that ensues here was absolutely riveting. It was super fun to see these characters that I didn't expect to really interact anytime soon, uh, go back to back and just really take out a whole army of people together. That's the type of fun stuff I like to see and actually gets me really interested in playing the League of Legends games myself. Of course, as fun as this scene is, it gets cut just a little bit short as Jace accidentally shoots a child in the line of fire. Now, he certainly didn't mean this. He was doing his best to fight off against the people who were attacking him which in that moment seemed like a very justified and reasonable thing to do given the circumstances we were presented with. But it's met with this terrible moment where a kid falls and it is by the hand of Jace. And Jace has to realize, you know, he might be he might be servicing some larger goal, but at the end of the day, he doesn't want to have blood on his hands. He doesn't want to be responsible for people suffering or dying. And we we see that really you, you see that all over his face. The animation in this show is always firing on all cylinders to show complex emotion and really just human nature in just the facial expressions that they're making. Even Vi in this moment doesn't blame him. Uh, she actually tries to comfort him saying, that's not your fault. Um, Vi being our cornerstone uh, character with a high moral compass, you know, even she can see that this is a morally gray situation. While all of this is playing out, there's still the subplot happening in the background that Jinx doesn't know if she can trust Vi anymore. And Vi is trying to get Jinx. She, she wants to get back to Jinx and basically make everything better for her. But she can see that Jinx is no longer the person that she used to be. She's already done arguably irredeemable acts on society. 
And so the whole time we're, you know, we're trying to get closer to Jinx, but you just don't know how close you can get without her potentially spiraling out of control. That drama and, ten- and tension that they build throughout the first two episodes of, the, of Act 3 is really well done. You think you might get tired of this type of plot just dangling ahead of us, but they find fun and inventive ways to keep it refreshing. Um, and it comes to a beautiful head at the, at the very end of Act 3, which we'll circle back to that in a little bit. There's a few other things I want to highlight before we really dig our nails into that plot line. One thing I haven't mentioned until now is something that has been present throughout the series at large, but they really kick it up in Act 3, are these music video type scenes. The Act 3 actually opens up in their first episode to just essentially an awesome music video about the firelights. You get to kind of see their characters a little bit and see how they use their technology. The firelight technology is visually captivating. It really pops on screen and it's a little bit unlike anything I've ever seen before. But that accompanied with a great rap song really just killed it for me. Uh, We get a similar scene with that later on and it's when Echo actually is battling Jinx, which was another huge moment for me for the series. I think my my favorite thing about the show is seeing all these cool characters uh, get set up on different uh, different parts of the plot But then in Act 3, we see so many of them uh, come together and we see them fight together or fight against each other in different combinations that you wouldn't expect. But the music that they inject to that scene and the stylistic choices that they do with the animation makes it pop as one of the animated fight scenes I'll remember the most. This show consistently does a good job of having a unique visual and musical tone to their major scenes. Not always their action scenes either, but they, they... infuse it throughout the series in a beautiful way. Another character that is introduced in Act 3 is Mel's mother. Mel is one of the council members who has been essentially kind of uh, helping Jace along the way. And as you're watching Mel as a character, you don't know if she's manipulating him. You're not quite sure where to stand with Mel because everything she's saying is right, but for some reason it feels like she has too much control over Jace. Well, in Act 3, that's pretty much out the window. I think that Mel is definitively a good character now, and she is someone that I can root for. But you, we weren't able to see that until we get introduced to her mother. And, and in doing so, we get a lot more of Mel's character. Now, Mel's mother, her name in the show is Mrs. Madarda. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. She is another character that just steals the show immediately. She runs Noxus, which is another, uh, I believe, another region or it's another society, but they seem to be very into war. Uh, they're very battle first, dominate first, and, you know, look out for yours, essentially. And when we see her introduced, she's putting pressure on Mel to try to get the Heztech up and running for war, essentially. You know, we have to protect ours. You know, you guys got to get on it, essentially. Mel doesn't really bend, bend to her suggestions, however. Um, she kind of pushes back firmly, and I think that's a great moment for Mel and her development. But what that causes Mel's mother to do is immediately turn to Jace and calls Jace into her study herself. And th- she basically barrages him with a very compelling argument that you need to be using this tech for war. And she does it in a very uh, intimidating way, considering she's just butt naked out there. Um, but her, her dominating presence and what she brings to the narrative in terms of just propelling it forward into high stakes, you know, war implications 
I think that she was just really well well introduced. And for someone who we didn't even have an inkling of until episode eight, so in the final two episodes, she really uh, finds a way to make a lasting impression. Victor is a character who wasn't that interesting to me in the first couple acts. I mean, he was certainly present and he helped drive the plot forward, but I didn't feel any personal or narrative stakes with him. But this is in, in Act 3, he really gets to flourish as a character. This is when he really gets a, a nice light shine on him. Um, but we see him starting to infuse Hestech into his own DNA to, start, to try and heal himself. And uh, there was a very captivating scene where he actually runs for the first time and maybe ever. I'm not sure how long he's had that injury. It seems like he's had it at least since he was a child. But you see him running and you see that that all-out sprint is a they really captured the range of emotion of really getting to try something like that for your first time and something as menial as running seems like a huge blessing for him just to be able to participate in of course like Icarus flying too close to the sun uh he does uh he goes a little too far with his experiments with the hex tech and he accidentally kills his assistant that's not really his fault it was just kind of a situation due to circumstances poor timing, if you will, but this is this acts as a heartbreaking turn for Victor's character as it sends him into a spiral of depression and, and he doesn't know if what he's doing is even moral anymore. This leads to a very heavy scene where we actually see him moments away from stepping off of a cliff and essentially killing himself after he has to come to terms with the fact that it is pretty much his fault that his assistant just died. Um, and right before he does, we get Jace coming in saying, uh, don't take that step, uh, let me talk to you really quick, which uh, perfectly mirrored the scene that we first are introduced to Victor, and he actually helps Jace out of his depressive funk when Jace was considering a suicide attempt as well. So I really like what these characters provide for each other, their bond is very strong. I wasn't very trusting of Victor at first, but now that we've really gotten to walk alongside of him and see this kind of transformation for this character... I really see where he's coming from now, and I, I he's actually one of my more favorite characters. He, the, the range of emotion that comes with his plot is really riveting. Together, the two of them basically decide that they need to stop it with the hex tech stuff. Uh, they realize that what they're doing is too dangerous, and they've introduced too much dangerous power into the world. Now, I'm happy that they were able to come to that decision that shows that these characters are doing their best to make the best decisions possible but at this point it's too little too late the events are already in motion and it's just too late to stop the avalanche that's about to fall so going into the final episode of this entire season uh we really get to see jace come into his own as a true protagonist of this show he has been a protagonist this whole time but now i'd say he's kind of a hero he under he has now for the first time seen firsthand what war could look like and it is nasty, and he wants to avoid it at all costs. I don't think that he, he... He thinks... He knows that they have the competitive edge with Hextech, and it doesn't seem like him as a character, or the Council even, is that concerned that they would lose in an all-out war. For Jace, at the very least, he's more concerned about just preserving lives. He wants to avoid war altogether, not because he thinks that their side will lose, but because he doesn't want to see tragedy happen. I really like that for his character. I think that that makes sense for him, and I've liked seeing him develop over this time. Um, but yeah, with, with that new determination that he has, he basically goes to meet with Silco and try to try to settle out some peace. 
Silco's demands, however, consistent with his character, are not short. He wants full independence, and he wants, you know, he wants access to everything that Piltover has. And essentially, he wants everything in a bag of potato chips from from Jace and Piltover. After some heavy debating, however, uh, Jace is willing to meet him there. He's willing to actually provide all that for Zahn's citizens. We're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. However, he has to, it doesn't come without a price. He is not in a position to lock away Soko or even take Soko's life because Soko has too much power. He's too integral to their plan for peace to be removed off of the board. However, somebody has to pay for what happened, and that's going to have to be Jinx. Jinx is the one who is responsible for taking lives. Uh, even though she was ordered to do so by Silco, she's the one with the bloody hands. And somebody has to pay in order for them to all be able to move forward. So this is where we really start to come into question Silco's character. We know that Silco is the big bad. That is no question. But with his duplicitive circumstances, the way that he's able to kind of exist in two different versions of himself... This is where we see, is he going to be a true father? You know, he really has to grapple with whether or not, you know, is he going to turn in the girl that he's essentially taken on for the last, I don't know, three to five years as his daughter? Or is he going to stay true to his conviction, the thing that we've seen him working towards his entire life as the show presented to us? I mean, his entire character is working towards getting that independence for the nation of Zahn. So it's very, it's very interesting the circumstances they set up here. We never truly get to see Silco make that decision whether or not to turn her in uh, f for the sake of Zahn. I think it's implied that he was going to, but then at the very end, he, in his parting words, he actually says to her that he never would have done that to her because that's his daughter. I'm not sure if I quite believe that. I do think that Soko's character is really all about getting what his goals are. And I do think that he was able to experience some humanity with Jinx as that daughter role in his life but i don't think that that supersedes what his what his defining characteristic is which is sadistic and power hungry so with those major beats kind of out of the way for the moment we get to what is the most the meatiest plot line we've ever seen in this series and they, they return to the same spot that xander and, excuse me, Vander and uh, their previous friends all passed away in the climax of the first act. They return there and Jinx is all in control right now. She basically sets up a twisted tea party and has, uh, has, has these puppet versions of the people that she's lost in her life, the people that still haunt her and her subconscious, all set up around Vi and Silco all around this dinner table. And for Jinx, this is her attempt to try to just settle it all out. She genuinely doesn't know what's going on. She kind of understands the situation, but there's just so much trauma uh, and craziness built and mental health, uh, you know, poor mental health going on in her brain. There's just a storm of emotions and delusion, really, that she needs to figure out where does she stand between Vi and Silco. Did Vi betray her? Is Vi her true sister? Is Silco lying to her this whole time? For Jinx, for Jinx, I think that she needs to believe that Silco was there for her because that was the mindset that got her through the last few years. Jinx, Jinx and Powder, <laughs> same character, is a character that has only lost in her life. I mean, we from the get-go, she was introduced with very with a very tragic history, and it's essentially left her in a position where 
she's incapable of making normal decisions. But anyway, she's got everyone tied up at this table, and she, as terrifying as she can really be, she has a gun. And basically, the implication is that someone's going to die here. Oh, I forgot to mention Caitlin is at this table as well. Caitlin, by the way, is a character who really started to grow on me. I didn't care much for her plot lines early on, but as we see the relationship develop between her and Vi, I actually really like them as a couple. And it's a, it's a moment where this show decides to really go gay with it, and I really love it for it. There, I don't know if there's really another romance that's set up in the series. I don't think there is, but their romance is just super strong, and I really like them together. Uh, of course, her presence at this table adds the added layer uh, there that is Jinx's jealousy for Caitlyn and Vi's relationship. Obviously, we're comparing a romantic relationship versus a familial one. Um, that being said, every time that Jinx sees Vi with Caitlyn, she just can't help but get an uh, overwhelming uh, flurry of emotions, you know. Uh, one thing I also noticed is that, you know, Caitlyn is kind of in the middle of things where... You know, Caitlyn has purple hair, Vi has pink hair, and Jinx has blue hair. Purple is the mix between pink and blue. So having Caitlyn situated between the two characters of Vi and Jinx at this table, I think is not a coincidence. And I think even the coloring of their hair, narratively putting Caitlyn between those two characters, I think makes a lot of sense. But yes, we get to see Jinx's twisted game that she plays as she tries to get to the bottom of things here. Is she gonna kill Jinx? Or excuse me, <laughs> is she gonna kill Caitlyn? Is she gonna kill Vi? Is she gonna kill Suko? Who knows what she's gonna do? Maybe she blows up the whole place. The The level of chaos that they provide with Jinx as a character is just off the charts. I mean, the easy comparison is that she's like Harley Quinn or the Joker, and that's definitely true. But I have to say, she does it better than I've seen either of those characters depicted in a long time. From an animation standpoint, she pops off screen more than anybody else. They love uh, throwing her body around confidently with these huge weapons that she has. And it's juxtaposed with her smaller frame. And she really, I, I mean, she must be a 15 or 16 year old. She she is a young girl, but uh, with her, she seems kind of child childish and innocent-like, but that's juxtaposed with how just chaotic and crazy that she can be at times. She is truly a loose cannon that can fire off in any direction at any time. And it's what makes her scenes so alive. You don't know which way it's going to go. Your heart is hoping that she finds a way to find that remedy with Vi. But the the twisted part of you knows that no way. She's not coming out of this. They, they, that would be too neat of an ending for what Arcane has done for us in the past here. But yeah, everything comes to a head. Uh, we start getting the animation starts switching up a little bit here. We get a lot of quick shots and everything's kind of moving really fast. Long story short, in the chaos of everything, not even really knowing what she was doing necessarily, Jinx ends up killing Silco. Uh, in that moment, the moment that she pulls the trigger, I think that she knows internally that this is someone who manipulated her. This is someone who, he is the reason why she doesn't have her family anymore. Um, her found family, that is. I mean, that would be a little bit reductive to the overall situation because there was a lot of different things happening in that scene. But without Silco's presence, Basically, she wouldn't be in the situation she is right now. So she she knows that in that moment, she pulls the trigger, but then is immediately filled with regret. As she looks over Silco's body, tears in her face, and he whispers to her, you know, I, I, would, I was never going to turn you in. I would never do that to you. 
Again, I'm skeptical. I don't think that would necessarily be the case. But with those parting words, I think it's going to cement to Jinx's character that that was a good father figure for me. And w if he hadn't said that necessarily, I think that she'd be more free to maybe go with Vi and choose a better path for herself. But because those are the final words that he imparts to her, it makes her double down on her Jinx persona. And what she does next is just truly terrifying. Right before she does said terrifying event, we switch right back over to the council in Piltover, and we actually see Jace explaining to everybody what's going to happen. You know, he's really taken the reins of the situation because the council members have essentially shown themselves to be uh, ill-equipped to make these better decisions. They're too concerned with their financial gain and their place in society. But he basically breaks it down to them and he says, we're not going to war. This is the peace treaty I've been able to set up with Silco. And, and that's what's happening. He lays it down all flat. And he actually gets everyone to agree. This is, this is a real big bait and switch moment that the show does for us. Because this whole time I'm thinking, how are we going to find a solution? What is the way out for these characters? How do we find peace? And they actually provided a great solution for that. You know, it's, it's maybe not the best thing you would want. You would want to bring justice to Silco, but admitting that you kind of need Silco to, to serve for the overall good and, and the bottom line of having the least amount of lives uh, taken as possible, I, see that, I saw that as a good option for them. But they, they were actually able to come to terms with that. And as soon as they make that deal, we switch right back over from Jinx's perspective and it's in this moment that she has a huge cannon on her shoulders, ready to send right at the council. <laughs> and it's powered with Hex Hextech, too. This is one final just vindictive act of chaos from Jinx's side. So it actually leaves us on a cliffhanger right there. She, she does send the missile off, and right before it, it hits the council, the episode ends. And we're left to wonder what is going to happen next. Well, of course, you guys know me. I got some predictions. Uh, I do think that they're going to be, the whole council room is going to be exploded. I actually think that Mel is going to pass away. I think her character kind of got uh, wrapped up in this final, in this final arc. Uh, introducing her mom character, I do think that she's going to be a bigger player moving forward. But Mel, like I said earlier, has finally rounded out to be a character that I really like to root for. Which is why I think now is the perfect time to take her away from us. Uh, we know that Jace and Victor are going to live because those characters haven't even fully realized their video game versions of themselves, so we do know that those characters still have uh, room to grow. Uh, besides that, everybody else in the council is fair game. Uh, they're probably, at least half of them are going to die. And I think after that happens, there's kind of no turning back. I think that the events that we're going to see unfold is going to be all-out war. Not only is this a blatant attack on their council who just made the decision to take the peaceful route, but Silco's also dead. So that kind of throws the peace plan out the window altogether. So as soon as, soon as we were almost made to believe that there was hope at the end of the tunnel, we're left on this somber note where there is no solution, everything's just as fucked as it was when we started, and we're going to have to see the ramifications for that unfold in the next, in the next season. Fortunately for us, Arcane has already been renewed for a season two by Riot Games. Unfortunately for us, however, that's not going to happen for at least two years. I think that the general number I've been seeing online is 2023, 
which, hey, I get it. It takes a long time for a show to come out, especially one that's operating at this level narratively and animation-wise. But I, I will be waiting with bated breath because I cannot wait to see the rest of this series and the rest of the plot that unfolds. My overall thoughts before I get out of here, guys, I mean, if, you, if you've been listening to this, you already know that I love this show. Uh, it's absolutely one of the best animated series I've seen ever. And I think that that, that that praise actually goes beyond just animated series. This might be one of my favorite shows I've seen, period. Time will tell how it, how it holds up, but I, I think that this just set a new precedent for animation and storytelling in general. If you haven't watched it, guys, uh, I don't know what you did listening to this whole thing, but definitely give it a watch. I'll be watching it again, and I, can't, I just can't wait to get more of this eventually. But yeah, thank you for listening for an, to another episode of The Darius Show. Uh, please reach out with me with any feedback that you have. My email is vdshow at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-D-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Please let me know what you think. And if you're listening to this, thank you so much. I appreciate you giving me a shot. Have a great day and I love you.